Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's. You can also text us. It is on our Instagram account if you have questions or you're an entrepreneur and would like to be on the podcast. That's how you can reach out to us or through DM on Instagram, again, at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's. You can also listen to us on Spotify or anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts. So with that being said, I'm just going to go right to it. Today I have with us Danny Goldplot from Los Angeles, California of Holy Smoke Kosher Barbecue. Did I get that right, Danny? Yep. Yes, thank goodness. And, um, (laughs) And how are you doing? And tell us your story. Like, How did you become an entrepreneur and and why food? So, um, I'm sitting here in rainy LA right now, which is really crazy. Cause like, you know, people don't think it rains here, but it actually is going to rain like nonstop. And I get a cook the next, like two cooks in the pouring rain. So it's pretty fun. Um, I've always just kind of looked for side gigs my whole life. Like when circuit city went out of business, I remember getting like 15 of their external hard drives and selling them on eBay, you know, marking them up like 10 bucks each and making some money. Um, and I just always loved food since I was a little kid. Like the joke was like, I was always holding like a ribeye in one hand and a drumstick in another because beef is like something like red meat was always kind of special growing up. It's really expensive kosher. And so my parents was either like Friday night thing or Sunday night thing. Um, and so as I grew up keeping kosher, I just wanted to experience more of what was out there in the non-kosher world. So I was like, all right, I got to do it myself. If I can't go out to all these restaurants here and I, I got to do it myself. So I started with sous vide and eventually I just started cooking barbecue because I'm someone who like can't sit still. And, you know, my, my experimenting led to fire and I just fell in love with it and grew from there. And are you, you're not from Los Angeles originally, correct? No, I am. I'm born and raised. I'm actually not. My background's not in food. I've been a teacher for the past 10 years. Okay. But, um, so let's talk yeah, about that. I'm born and raised in LA. So I misunderstood that. And so like, let's talk about this. So you're born and raised in LA. You start experimenting with food. Why barbecue? Why Texas style barbecue? Like why getting back into food? I just, I guess I'm not, I'm not attaching how you fell in love with food suddenly, I guess. I guess. Um, I guess it's like me and podcasting. Suddenly I just did it, but maybe I'm misunderstanding. So tell me why, like, what it, what was, was there a drive? No, you're, you're right. Like, kind of like you and podcast, I just kind of did it. I was doing it for fun, right? Like my experimenting was all about fun and creating things I could eat as a kosher consumer. I met somebody who needed help doing kosher barbecue. And I'm like, I teach two day studies. I'll help you. He happens to be a really big YouTuber. His name is Jeremy Yoder on mad scientist barbecue. And I, we ended up working together for a few years and teaming up. And, um, I taught him kosher. He taught me barbecue on like a 500 gallon pit. I was using like a little pellet grill at the time. And it just kind of went from there. I just, like I said, tinkering with tinkering with fire was just something I loved doing and I've always loved fire. Like who doesn't like playing with fire, but the idea of just like the food isn't just in the oven and the sous vide. You got to watch it. Babysit. There's so much work to it and love and care. And it kind of just fits my style of someone who just can't sit still either. Okay. So like I'm, I'm liking how you're stacking this up. So how you're building a business kind of, but not intentionally and you're getting customers and, and clients potentially because you're sticking to the kosher mythology 
uh, which I like, and you're staying true to and also to the Texas style barbecue. And so, like, how do you build this business? How do you go forward? Like, how do you suddenly just jump to it? I mean, you're just like, okay, I'm going to turn this into a business. So what did that look like? Like, how did you turn it into the business that it is today? Or how did you become someone that actually makes money off of it, I should say? Let's talk about that. Sure. So it was really when I teamed up with Jeremy, we were doing it as a private cook. He he paid me a little bit. I was like, don't worry about it. I'm learning. I'm having fun. It was really about him catering for someone who needed kosher food um, and wanting to get this person authentic style, you know, authentic Texas style barbecue without compromising their dietary needs. And then like when this person who was known in the community, they're like, guys, you have to keep doing this. And we looked at each other and I was like, dude, I know it's amazing. Like a coach, I've never had this before. He's like, no, no, no. He right there. And then this person's like, do you need money? And we're like, no, we're good. He's like, no, seriously. Like, tell me what you need. We'll help you. And we looked at each other like, uh, okay. So the Jewish New Year was coming up and we're like, let's try and sell this to the public. We have like some kosher supervision, like, and we sold out and it was like crazy. We sold it for the Jewish New Year. And we did a couple more cooks and then COVID happened. Um, he ended up moving back to Kentucky with his wife and child, where they're from. It was really funny. People are like Orthodox Jewish woman, evangelical Christian guy teaming up together for barbecue. But we became really good friends, family yeah, friends. And they're, I love it. Yeah. And they're amazing people, you know, and it wasn't like we split up because of work, just they, they moved back home and um, he continues his thing. And I was doing this on the side out of my house during COVID while I was teaching. I was literally Zoom teaching and running this um, maybe once a month, doing it out of my backyard pit up to four briskets max at a time. I couldn't handle much more. So and I just at some point I was really, you know, like I'm sure like a lot of teachers out there, you know, I'm sure you've heard about the burnout and post COVID. And I just I needed a switch. And it just I saw that I was making money do it. We had really sat down and crunched the numbers for months to make sure that this was viable as a career and that I wouldn't just be doing this as like a hobby with maybe a little money on the side. So talk to me about this. Like, cause it, I mean, from a teacher to this is a leap and I get it. You were experimenting, but I get you made it make financial sense. So what skills did you learn as, or did you develop or whatever as a teacher, however we want to look at this? Um, do you think that you carried over into the entrepreneurial journey with you? So I wouldn't, so my background as a teacher, I have a little bit of experience with administration, right? Running a school or a nonprofit is so different. And I was in no position as an administrator. I was a teacher, but being on the board of a, of a school for a couple of years of a different school and just seeing the behind the scenes and like what finances kind of need to look like was a eye opener. Um, and just learning how to balance this, a budget sheet for a business or a nonprofit with, you know, a $15 million budget is very different than my business. So those are just kind of things that open my eyes a little. The thing I think I most take from teaching is my people skills. Um, it doesn't so much help, I guess I would say on the back end of the business, if you think about marketing, maybe not so marketing so much, but I offer meatology classes where I teach all about different cuts of meat, how to cook them. Um, and my personal skills, maybe being on camera, like I'm, I'm an easy person, I think, to talk to and to teach and to discuss these things. So when people meet me, I feel like that's the 
number one thing they're going to notice about me is kind of like my personality because I was a pretty effective teacher. Teenagers like me. And I'm like, if teenagers like me, I must be crazy out of my mind or like I must be doing something right. Right. Like teenagers are a hard, a hard group of people to win over. So I'm like, if I could win teenagers over, I, I should be able to win anybody over. Um, so I really try and I, I, my motto is like I kill with kindness. It's who I am. Like my values are who I am. Um, and that's just kind of something I've carried over into my business and in terms of how I treat my employees and, um, and how I want to build things out. I like this and we touched on values. So let's just go right into that. Like, what are those values? What are the most important values that you think you carry into your business? Um, so I believe kindness is number one, like when it comes to anybody you're working with, Everybody can be kind. It does not take a lot to be kind. Um, whether it, it just, it's amazing to me how so unkind people are in this world. And I think kindness goes a long way. And when you treat employees and treat people right, it comes back to you, right? Not always, but in general, what you put out there can come back. And that's really my number one thing is, is when I'm building this business and when I'm working with um, vendors or when I'm working with my employees, the number one thing is how I treat people. Like one of my employees, he's 18. He's like, you can stop saying please to me every time you ask me to do something. I'm like, I, I can't. Uh, I'm the same like, way. Please and thank you. I overkill it. And I have to be careful with sorry because I can leave myself in a very exposed position. I got to be very careful. I use it that it's actually something I did wrong. Um, and I'm very conscious of it. But I agree with you 100%. I actually just had this conversation with a very good friend in Nashville, which oddly like puts a lot of interesting advice <laughs> or ideas into my head unintentionally. I, I I don't think she realizes how much just by being friends that she puts into my head, but it's ex the kindness thing is a big one. And, um, and just some conversations around it. And I agree with you, actually. It's the, the kindness, but what comes with kindness is a certain amount of being genuine is the word that a lot of people use. For me, it's authentic, like truly authentic, like be who you say you're going to be, do what you say you're going to do. And it's hard for humans, totally. especially with money and COVID and, you know, we go through bad situations. And so to do that stuff becomes hard. Um, the, um, wow, I'm just blown away by this. So let's, let me jump topics real quick. Back to the core sure. values. You're, you're running a business. Um, I know you have children. We've talked about it just because I keep, I messed up the time for some reason in my head, but it worked out that we got it to work right for this. Like, how are you now managing the family, this growing business? You have kids, like you have a catering business that I think just by the nature of the niche that you're in, let's call it that, but I think you're serving a very, very important lifestyle and it's a very, very quality, um, kosher's not just religious, it's like a, a standard of food and I just want everyone to right. understand that. Like there's a standard that happens there because of foodborne illness and uh, that's just the way I'm going to put it. I've been in it a long time and it's the foodborne illness like methodology, like at its basic, most important, and the right way to do it, just based on to eliminate anything that could really harm you. And it's important that we understand that it is religious. People can argue it that way. But the whole point of religion is to live, to pass on, to procreate, and to give a positive legacy. So 
that's what this is doing and it's ensuring. I just want to tie that to it just because I think it's important. When people hear it, they always assume it's religious. Well, it is, but it's there's so much more to that when it comes to food and food safety and and the health of the humans and the importance of how we eat food and, and prepare food and don't cross-contaminate food. And so I just think it's important to understand why it exists, number one, and two, to highlight that it's really cool that that you're doing this and i love that it's texas barbecue so thank you how do you i guess let me go back to the question how do you manage all of it how do you make sure you stay in balance with being both kosher and barbecue and that market and do you have plans to grow outside of barbecue with sort of your catering or is this where you're going to stick so I guess I'll start with the balancing question and go into barbecue and kosher because they'll kind of tie in. Yeah. Um, so when I was a teacher, the the hours can be really tough. Like, yeah, I'm in school and my kids are, but um, I would this year where they were going to school, I could have never taken or picked up. It would have been, I mean, we're two working parents. It would have been brutal with my teaching schedule, them on the opposite side of LA. Like it was just going to be difficult and it happened to all just work out. I actually have a lot more flexibility with this job. Um, cause I can take, I can leave and go like when I need to pick up the kids, I have an amazing husband who's so supportive and on my cook days, he's doing bedtime and you know, it's really a, it's a team effort. This building, this business, anyone who thinks a team, uh, one spouse is building a business and the other one isn't, it's, it's a sacrifice on everyone's part. And my husband has a very busy job and he's, you know, works really hard and he's incredible. He's, he, he really balances it out for me. My parents help. Um, but yeah, it's also hard, like missing certain things because I'm going to be catering or something, but there's a, there's a balance. And, you know, as I build my business and staff, it's easier for me to walk away from the smoker for a few hours, knowing it's in good hands. Um, so that's also huge. And then into the kosher thing, you know, we have kosher supervision because people are like, what? It's not just kosher meat. I'm like, no, because, you know, there are people who want to cut corners and you want to make sure it's literally kosher means fit fit for people can say something's kosher a contract could be kosher right it's good to go it's fit so that the food is really good to go so it does affect a lot of things like my pricing and when we're open i can't cook at saturday i can't cook on on jewish holidays or the sabbath from friday to saturday night so um it affects things like that but you know my motto is i'm good food that just happens to be kosher like people would try my food they're like seriously this is kosher i mean the my friend's wife but jeremy's wife erica she was in my house once and we made veal, pulled veal. And she was tripping because she thought, like, how did you bring pork into Danny's home? And I'm like, it's not pork. It's not pork. It's veal. She, and she's like to me, are you sure? And I'm laughing. I'm like, are you, am I sure? Like, I, I know what this is. I bought it. I, I go to the kosher butcher because yeah. um, it tasted so much like pork. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people taste my brisket and people who haven't kept kosher, people who do keep kosher but used to not, people are like, this is just as good and not better, the stuff I remember. So, my, again, my goal is to have good food that just happens to be kosher. Well, and I think there's a lot of that. I think even there's like if you looked at the traditional Italian staples that grew up just from being an Italian-American, like spaghetti and red sauce was like and maybe you had a white sauce and that was there wasn't a lot of options and there wasn't all the fancy different types of noodles that we have today. Like there's like things evolve and they grab onto other things and they expand and they go into hybrid and we see it now like the chopped cheese phenomenon across the United States from New York or the Nashville hot chicken from Nashville. These are things that happen. Um, but I think what's also important is that when you tie food concepts together, you create markets and that's what you're doing. So um, 
let's let's move on. What are what do you love about being an entrepreneur the most? What do you love about catering and food the most? I mean, I love making people happy with food and bringing a whole new experience to the the kosher consumer because so many people haven't had this really authentic style barbecue before. Um, I bring a lot of fusion into my food. Food. I grew up eating a lot of Japanese food, so I love bringing in a lot of Asian style influence. I use a lot of Korean barbecue in it. Um, in terms of like, I'm looking on making some Japanese ramen that it's like as authentic as I can with our kosher ingredients, which is pretty darn close. But I smoke bones before I use bone broth, so I'm looking to like kiss a lot of what I do with some smoke and fire. So not everything needs to be smoked, but like I can do grilling. I do sous vide. So my catering is really. Um, expanded not in, out of just barbecue but i bring a lot of different kind of flavor to it if that makes sense i agree and i like that and it does make sense and i like what you're doing i'm and sorry I, if it didn't directly answer the question no 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 no, no. you did answer the other question though which is branching out into outside of barbecue which is uh, the bone broth makes sense to me because i was in ramen mass producing in the bones and into ramen um as a company in the and for 20 uh in the business I was in for 24 years and and started and was a part of and so I understand the importance of ramen in the market there so having a kosher product I think is huge particularly in the world we live in and particularly because the world's palate is so huge and to go back to what we we're saying a lot of food was traditionally plain because that's where we came to the United States and we in and in groups immigrant groups couldn't afford like really high-end food now like more diversity in food is available than there there was back then however there's less than there was three years ago just so we're all aware of pre-covid but we're trying to get that diversity back which is why i like what you're doing and that's part of the reason i agreed to keep doing the podcast and i keep having people on and i'm pushing to do a podcast today is because i do i believe diversity is important in our diets and i believe in having access to the lifestyle we want is important and then having the food within that lifestyle so it's really what you're doing and you're providing it and you're giving people a core value you know it's a family core value it food brings people together it's where our families come together and we teach our kids core values and we have conversations with them at the the dinner table or breakfast table or lunch table however that looks and in a lot of cultures the food is tied to that experience it's why it weighs so much so i think that this is important for this experience and the passing on of the family values and then like you said now it's being passed into the business which then the business passes on those same values so that's pretty right. cool and you're saying like food, these conversations and values happen around the table. And a lot of my clients are getting their food for Friday pickup because I'm not a restaurant. It's takeout, pop-ups, and catering right now. And they look at the date they want and people sit down to my table, like people sit down to a Sabbath meal, a Shabbat meal. And, you know, there could be 10, 15, 20, 30 people at the table. And these are always like big family dinners. Um, friends come, you invite people in the community to come. So I've realized over the course, like people are like, Oh, I had your meal, your food at this and this person's house. Oh, I've had your food at this and this person's house. It was good. But it's more than that. It was good. I'm like, they're bonding over my food. My food's part of the conversation and it just kind of brings people together. And yeah, and hopefully it will like be one of those core memories. Sometimes like, Oh, remember when I did that smoke meat and we had that incredible conversation about so-and-so. Um, so that's kind of cool to think about. Yeah, and I think so. And bringing people together, uh, you're bringing like-mindedness together. And even if it's not the same uh, because you have the food and the food's common, it leads to common ground. 
Um, and I think that that's really important. It's one of the things that food does and it's what you're doing. I also want to talk about the pop-ups and how did you decide to do that? We, uh, um, but I also think it's important that you allow everyone to sit together and be part of the experience, which I'll talk about that piece later. But let's talk about the pop-ups. How did you get into it? Why did you start doing them? How did you manage that during COVID? Or is this something newer? So I did my first pop-up ever during COVID. It was last summer. Oh, boy, I'm a little disoriented. Yeah, I guess last summer, not 2021. It was 20, no, 2021, 2021. So it was like people were still coming out of COVID. It was all outdoors in my backyard. I fit, when I say I fit 55 people, it, we were squished, but it was amazing. Um, and that was my first time ever running. It wasn't like a restaurant per se. It was just like people bought a ticket. It was all you can eat, come up, get your food and sit down and enjoy. Then I did, um, you know, a shabu shabu, like hot pot. Yeah, absolutely. So I did a shabu shabu pop up because again, I don't and no kosher consumers in LA if they unless they've done it themselves have had it. Yeah, um, oh, and I was like great. a friend. So I invested in some equipment. I still made money. I haven't used the equipment since. And my husband and my dad are like, you need to do it again. I'm like, we'll get there. We'll get there. But it was like I made money at the end of the day as well, and I had a hell of a time. Um, so then people wanted my barbecue fresh and hot. So that's why I started that first pop-up and Shabu Shabu was just like, I can do this. We're getting no smoke whatsoever. I mean, the fire for the hot pot. Sure. But it was, I just wanted to bring that awesome experience to the kosher consumer or anyone who had never tried it. Um, then there's also the pop-ups I just started, which for me is definitely newer and I'm learning how to run them. People want barbecue fresh. It's not just vacuum sealed. So we have a limited menu. It's not like you come up and you got ribs, like, you know, like you go into a barbecue joint and you see, like there are six proteins and seven sides or whatever and two desserts. I have a limited menu for the pop-ups and a couple sides. <clears throat> we got like brisket sandwiches, smoked brisket sandwiches. I do a smoked fried chicken, um, which I did the first time on bao buns with a candied jalapeno and maple aioli. Oh the brisket God, has like, you know, some amazing. homemade. Thank you. The homemade... The homemade, uh, the pastrami, not pastrami, sorry, the brisket has coleslaw and like these butter pickles I make that are bomb um, on some awesome rye bread. And then this next pop-up is going to have my loaded baked potato with, because we're kosher, we can't mix meat and milk. But this is super unhealthy. Like it's a potato loaded with that fake diet cheese. And then you got loaded with brisket, fried onions, and Alabama white sauce and barbecue sauce on top. And so what is your favorite item that you, what's your favorite meat, your side? Do you do desserts? If you do, what is that? Like, what's the favorite thing that you will like to make? Number one, because sometimes we like to make different things in the food business sure. than we like to eat. So I'll ask you Absolutely. both parts of the question. So when I, if it's outside of the meat, hands down, sushi is my favorite. I got a store here in LA that does dry aged fish. And people are like, it's aged. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, this is becoming all the rage. It's the most incredible fish you can possibly eat. Um, so sushi, making my own sashimi and sushi, like favorite food. I can eat it all day, every day. Um, and then in the meat category, like when I'm eat, I can't eat smoked meat within like a day of smoking it. Like I, it's all I smell. It's I reek of smoke. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I can't, I, I can't totally touch the understand. stuff for, for at least a day or two. But if I'm smoking something or if there's something, it kind of changes what I feel like, to be honest. Um, but I, for New Year's, I did a lamb shoulder, like to medium rare. And I just, I love lamb. Lamb's been one of my favorite meats since I was a kid. And uh, I would say the queen of barbecue for me is the short rib because it's just 
push the king out of the way. The queen's in the queen is in the castle, and she's got the short rib. Very cool. I agree. I like short rib as well. And um, okay, I'm going to go back to another question: the time management thing that that um, you do with the kids and your life and all that. Like, are you very? I mean, you seem very organized and you seem like you are intentionally spending time to take the kids to school because you know you don't have time when you have to do catering or pop-ups and stuff like that. Like, and you're organized. There's a lot of intent in that. Would you say that that's a huge motivator and driver for you in being an entrepreneur is sort of having that time and being able to have that flexibility where if you were- A thousand percent. Because if you worked another job, you're just taking the same amount of time away from your kid as you are at night. You're just getting to spend it during the daytime, maybe uh, your kids, um, children. I don't know if there's multiple, but um, that that seems to be how it works. But I'm not positive. Yeah, you're 100% correct. My boys are seven and five. Um, taking them and picking them up has got to be sometimes it's a lot for me because I'm also trying to build my business and my husband started a new job at the same time so we were both like looking at each other and I'm like dude I need more hours in the day I can't just sit in carpool but honestly it's so much fun they say the funniest things when they're not beating the crap out of each other <laughs> but I do I it's really it's really um it's really special I do like taking them to school and right now I mean I'm only cooking bedtime really I miss one time a week when I'm cooking, so it's not too bad. And I come in, I work really close to home. So I pop in a couple of times to see them before bedtime. You know, we speak about the game plan for the next day, who's taking them. Um, and it made me feel better. Cause yeah, there were times that I'm like, damn, I'm missing, you know, this, or it's hard for me to miss this. Or I, this week I've got two or three events and I'm missing bedtime. But that's also having Shabbat, the Jewish Sabbath, where there's no phones, there's no TV. Like we might have other friends over, we might we can go to synagogue, but like just being present, I mean, that's huge. So I every week, I know no matter how busy I am, like we've got a 25 hour period that like there's no electronics, we're together. Um, and it makes me feel better that like I'm not, I don't say God forbid abandoning them, but I don't feel so guilty, I should say, right? Like I know there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and um, I really like that a lot because it's all like it's a visionary thread. It's like everything is tied to this family dynamic and core values and the business is even tied to it. And everything is very visionary thread that weaves the blanket of your life. And um, it's just so cool that you're it's so focused. And I love it that when culture in particular or in our heritage and and does a good job of reinforcing it and so that's what i also love about food is it's the ability to pass on those traditions or reinforce the values um okay danny like who is your biggest inspiration to you and are there any entrepreneurs or individuals growing up in your life that really inspired you that made you who you are today because you say things so like things come very easy to you, but you've worked so hard in your life, I feel like. And even though there's been hardships, you just have a good mindset. So who's inspired you? Who's influenced you? My parents are huge influences in my life. Um, my dad's been in business his whole life. And my dad and my uncles are all entrepreneurs. I mean, they all do their own thing. Like my uncle is well known for creating something you might have heard of called Skype. And he ended up dropping out of UCLA. Like they came from South Africa and, um, school it was just he ended up dropping out of ucla to work my other uncles didn't end up going to school but they also all entrepreneurs did big things do incredible things um 
I'm trying to think like my other cousin, I don't know. My family's just always, and is really just that kind of family. We all have kind of just do our own thing and put our head down. I mean, my cousin, we have a very tight knit family and we all live very close to each other. And my, my first cousin, he's, he's 20 and he has cystic fibrosis. Um, and he's old since he was a little kid, he literally would stand on the street corner, like selling necklaces, like that he'd buy on the internet in bulk, like at eight years old, you know, instead of lemonade, he was always entrepreneur. He ended up like when he was in the hospital a lot, like ended up, um, creating, helping people buy, you know, the shoe, how people wake up really early to buy shoes and the shoe King, like done, like that's a whole world, like the shoe shoebies. Yes, I have I that problem. Like I can't heads. get the shoes fast enough before they're sold out, and then I have to pay like five times the value of them so on the internet. So that's why you got to talk to my cousin because he developed something uh, with a programmer where they help people get their shoes faster. Like it's an app or bot. I don't know the whole thing, but it's like, and this kid's chilling. Like he goes to college, but it's just he always wanted. He always just kept hustling, and that's kind of like our yeah. mindset. I think um, doesn't matter if our fa- our parents before us were successful. Like we need to feel like our own success. Um, and you know, I don't want anything handed to me on a silver platter. It doesn't feel very good. Not that, you know, you can force people to buy your barbecue, but we all, we all pretty much have worked for what we're getting. My cousin did not let my cousin's been able to buy himself a couple Porsches and fixing them up, but that's his money working his butt off, you know, um, to buy old cars, fix them up into cool new cars sort of thing. Yeah, I like that a lot, and I think that they become more valuable. You can always sell cars, especially the exotics like that, especially if you fixed them up and they're older. They hold a lot of value. So, and I think thinking that way is important. It's not like we're just in people just invest in things. People who are smarter with money or compound money or come from generational legacy that understands the compounding of entrepreneurship, even if it's separately, not in the same businesses or family business. It's that mindset right there there's an investment always in value not necessarily money i just there's a value and it's always knowledge and and belief and encouragement and just like you can be anything you want just do it and i think a lot of families lack that a lot of families get held down by fear and and i don't know the fear of failure but failure honestly happens no matter what it's just whether you're not willing to learn from it and move forward so um, let's talk about mindset, uh, daily. Um, like how do you go in, how do you motivate your employees or the people that work with you that help you for the events? Cause you talk about how some days you're still trying to get your wits about you, um, or, or get used to the pop-ups. Like how are you managing all that? How are you instilling values in the people that work with you? How am I managing everything on a day-to-day basis? Like, yeah, I mean, I assume you have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mentally, sometimes it's a grind. Um, sometimes there's a lot going on. You know, I'm the only one who runs the pit. I was gonna cook for New Year's Eve, but I like a week and a half in advance. I'm like, you know what? I haven't been promoting it. I don't have the what. I'm not doing it, and I end up getting the flu. So I'm really glad it like worked out well. So there is. It can be stressful. If I'm getting sick, like I'm like, oh my god, there's a lot to do. I don't have a lot of help. I do, you know, I pretty much have one employee who works 20 hours a week for me or so, um, who doesn't fully run my pit, but I'm training to. So so there are a lot of stresses to it and a lot of moving parts. I just write everything down. I try and stay as organized as possible. I live by my calendar and my notepad on my phone. Um, and just make sure, you know, whether even scheduling, like my kids get out early today, like that's in my calendar to make sure I don't forget on top of everything else, 
prepping for this week. It's raining here in LA, which sounds ridiculous to the rest of the country, but like we actually, I got to prepare a little bit more. You know, I don't have weights for the canopy I used in the summer for the sun. Um, I can embrace the suck of the rain. I cannot embrace my food being ruined. You know what I mean? So I don't mind getting wet or working in the freezing cold or where we have like these Santa Ana winds here. Um, but I just, you know, try and stay on top of it all. It, it is a struggle. Sometimes there's, I need more help than other times. And I'm like, look at my husband and it's like 6 PM. I'm like, I'm so stressed. I know it's like family time. I need you to like take the boys for 45 minutes so I can just crank out the couple emails and do a couple things that I need to do to feel better. Um, so just really staying on top of it's key for me. Awesome. And, um, where would you like to see this business go? I mean, what are your plans? Do you have plans? Do you vision? I mean, do you hope that your kids get involved or learn from the business eventually? I guess that's one question. The other question is like, where do you want this to go? Did you say my kids learn from the business? Uh, do you want them to learn from the business? Do you envision that they'll eventually be involved in it in some way? Or, or do they join you sometimes at the office? I don't know. But, I mean, do you envision Oh, that? yeah, sure. So, my kids love it. I mean, they love eating it. They love coming to the, the butcher shop where I work out of, um, where I've teamed up to use their kitchen. And it's they, they love it. They think it's super cool. When I pulled up to school once with the smoker after it got painted, everyone was like, whoa. And I, I asked on my Instagram, I'm like, are the kids going to be embarrassed to think it's cool? And everyone's like, oh, that's embarrassing. And I'm like, are you? and I knew they were wrong. I'm a teacher. I know kids. And these kids were like, this is the coolest thing. What is this? You know, they're like boys who are like uh, through middle school, K okay, through five, eight. I'm like, yeah, you guys think this is cool. So, you know, if my boys want to, I definitely think it's important to instill a work ethic. So whether they want to help or not, whether they're 14 or 15, I think it's important. Like, listen, whether you're doing chores at home or helping at a pop-up or something, but I, I don't know. I, I really, you know, I want my kids to do what they want to do in life. I think it's important, again, that they have some sort of work ethic, whether they're helping me or I babysat in high school and college or, you know, whether they're doing babysitting or some kids are. My parents also didn't enforce me to work in high school because I was taking tons of AP classes, doing sports like that top kind of student. And I couldn't have too many. Um, I couldn't have a p official part time job. So I just babysat and stuff. So I think it's more about instilling those kind of values and whether it's like, yo, what are you going to do? Are you going to, I need help with this pop-up. You going to help me this weekend or what are you doing? You know? So I think it really depends on the kid and what their projection is in school and whatnot. Um, but I do know they love eating it. <laughs> that I know. That's interesting. I, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. And one of the things that I found interesting, well, as an entrepreneur, cause I just was born that way. It's like, I had to, I like at one time I'm on like three soccer teams growing up. I'm like going to school, trying to be like an AB student, like always trying to excel. And like, I couldn't get a job because my hours were so crazy, which is why I ended up doing fruit stands in the first place. Like I ended up with four of them and then helping and then partnering with a farmer who had an organic stand, which back then organics was the new and upcoming thing. Like they were unheard of, but it was hot. I could charge three times as much. And, um, and so, like, that's what happened. I was like, oh, I can, friends can run it during normal hours. I can just run it when they don't want to. That works for my schedule, which is always the weird hours. And I can make this work. And so my entrepreneur became the engineer of my ingenuity so I could have money as a kid so I could still play multiple soccer teams like school and club sometimes. So it was a minimum of two, maximum of three always. Well, maybe not four if it was indoor and like it was my thing and that's what I wanted to do so I think to your point is you figure it out and 
um, when you have an obstacle as an entrepreneur, you can get around it by being, um, I, I don't know the right word, but being creative. And I think that that's what you've done. Yeah. And I think that having the food business that you have has allowed you to be creative with your life and spend the time with your family and actually instill those core values where even if it's eventually driving to and from school or, or sports or whatever, they're going to want to stop by the business and see what's going on eventually in curiosity because you love it so much just by the nature of it. I can feel that. So Thank what, you. Um, as we start to sort of, you know, scale down a little bit here, I just want to ask you, like, what is your favorite thing about this? Like, why, why do it? Why, you know, a lot of people always ask, well, it seems like a lot of work. And I just, I want to tie the entrepreneur because a lot of people don't understand that there's something inside of us, but why do you do it? What is it that, what are you hoping to accomplish or pass down or, or, or I guess what motivates you and inspires you to keep going? Um, I would have to say just bringing good food to the kosher consumers. Like I said, good food that happens to be kosher. And that's like seeing people love my food. That's my biggest inspiration. That's what keeps me doing it. That's what I realized the first time I did. I was like, we have something here and bringing joy to people, you know, through food um, and just going, wow, like the experience. It's not just the joy of like eating. It's the experience of like, wow, there's so many complex flavors. Someone put in 15 hours of like labor into this thing it's a real experience having your first bite of brisket like not from an like Feb and Pellegro on an offset smoker it was nothing like I'd ever had before so that wow thing is what I that's really why I do it I mean yeah I want to make money I want this to grow there's I have some ideas of maybe a food truck or selling some you know dry aged kosher meats like doing a few things as well um but I, I do it, you know, it's not easy being an entrepreneur. It's not like I went into this. I'm like, I want to learn regulations and business. Yeah. A lot of entrepreneurs don't have a business background. Yeah. We go into it because we have another kind of background. Exactly. Um, I, I'm not, I'm, there's no, you know, I'm not going to say everything's been perfect. Like there's been a lot of learning curves and there's been a lot to learn. And, you know, the business, it's a whole new world for me. So there were definitely a lot of hard times, but bringing the food to people and this experience and teaching people about meat and, and the kosher world. It's, it's why I do it. It's what I love. Um, and that's, that's what I want to bring to the masses. I like this, um, a lot. And I think you're such a gifted person and you have such a good energy. I just, and I love how you put it in the food and the love that goes in the food and just the family values and the core values that go into it. Um, let me ask, a couple questions you mentioned the previous business partner and you've mentioned your husband let's look outwardly what are the, like the things you valued in your relationship as a for him as a business partner because i think we don't talk a lot about the core values or the things skills we admire in a business partner and then in your case because i feel like you're almost so hyper successful and so hyper functioning i'm not even gonna say highly functioning you're hyper functioning that you just come off so chill and I get it because <laughs> I know when I'm hyper-functioning that I'm almost more mellow. And um, and so I just – I think it's important to talk about what you as this hyper-functioning person seek in a partner and also seek in a business partner because I think you had success in both cases. And, and what is the core values in them that you admire? So with Jeremy – 
it didn't originally start as a business. I did think he was a really nice guy, right? Like him and his wife, I was like, wow, we share a lot of the same values being religious people, right? Like they're evangelical Christians, we're Orthodox Jews. We have a lot of uh, family values in terms of religious values, what we put important in life, right? God, family, faith, those kind of things. And that he was also really kind. So it was very, very natural. If I didn't think it was a good match to begin with, I probably wouldn't have done nearly as much as, food, you know, cooked food with him. I, I'm a, I read people well, I get a good vibe from people. But what specifically I liked about him was he was also very authentic. And you can kind of see that in his videos. But him and his wife were just really kind, nice people. Like, I'm like, real Southerners from Kentucky. I'm like, damn, I'm like, this is like the best of America. You know what I mean? Like, um, sure, LA is a melting pot, but these are evangelical Christians and who are just like the coolest people. Um, and so that was like number one for me and when, when working with Jeremy. And then, you know, what was your, the second part you asked was about the business yeah, about the business. Well, um, um, and just about, what I look for in like a business partner. Yeah, and what do you look for in a business partner? Yep. So honestly, my business partners like my husband and my dad. Um, yep. My mom helps with certain things, but like they're my go-to people. They are my partners. My father right now is uh, my father's an experience in marketing. He was in the garment industry for a long time, which isn't food, but he's been in marketing for a long time, and he really knows how to like push things a certain way. He's helping me. I'm doing everything on my own. He's helping me reach out to synagogues and schools for the classes that I give, um, and doing a bunch of other things for me because there's just not enough hours in the day. And so for me, it's like I trust them completely. We have the same goals in mind. Um, I mean, my husband takes care of certain graphic design needs for me. He's he's a data whiz. So he's created these spreadsheets for the business that are just like, I'm like, great. So, I mean, I'm not really looking for a, a partner per se. I consider them my partners. They're, my dad always says my success is his success. He doesn't have a stake in the business. He doesn't make money for it. He's invested. He's helped me financially. Um, he's just an all around awesome person. So, you know, if I'm looking for a business partner, I'm looking for someone like that, who, Jeremy, who I met before, my father, my husband, like these are all people like great people. And I also, here's the thing. People are like, oh, I wouldn't do anything without like my immediate group agreeing, right? Which is my husband, my dad. Um, and yeah. in some cases, my mom, if she, just because my mom isn't as involved in it, not be, it's just not her, her cup of tea as much. But the reason is not because I need their approval, but because I trust them so much that if I'm going to make a big decision and I'm going to screw it up, like if they're against it, there's a good reason why they're against it. Or we'll have a discussion and come to some sort of agreement. It's never happened such a big level by any means. But, you know, when I need some help, we'll sit down and work things out until we kind of come to a consensus because I'm not an idiot. I always believe in going to people who have the experience. I don't believe I can do, reinvent the wheel. Um, when it comes to my pop-up, I looked at someone, I'm like, you have experience with this. Tell me what you think about this idea. Like, I'm not going to tell you my idea is better. So I, you know, I want to make sure I have a sound head on my shoulders before making big decisions. And so they're kind of my, my sounding board and my kind of, I would say board of directors unofficially and voluntarily. I could do things without their, right, their approval. I am the soul, but I truly believe in, um, kind of teamwork. I agree with you. And so let's talk about this will be my last question. What's the core values of your uh, husband and the core values of your father that you, why do you trust them? What are those core values that you look to them for that you're looking for, I guess, or morals or ethics? Why do you trust them in the way? And you obviously chose your husband. You can't choose your father. But <laughs> um, yeah. but what are they? So there's two parts of that question. The first one that comes to my father is his business acumen, right? Like he's got a lot of experience. 
But my father is also someone who is so ethical in business that he will jump out of business, even if there's room for opportunity for some money. But if someone's shady, he's like, he's out, he's done. He wants to, you know, he doesn't want um, anything that could be on his conscience that's against Jewish law, American law, or if it just doesn't feel right. It might not be illegal, but something doesn't feel right. Right. So he has that sense of like, does this smell? Because this passed the sniff test. Am I going to get ripped off? Like my dad's got a second set of eyes. I'm someone who's really kind and I know I can be taken advantage of. And I'm I'm working. I've worked on my negotiation skills a lot and I've gotten a lot better. But I know the kind of person I am. I would just say yes to everything if I could. Um, and I'd never make money. So he you know, I, I run things by them that way. But again, their their honesty, their values how my father treats people also like I've learned from him, right? He's my dad. I, I've learned how he treats people. I've seen him treat people growing up and it's just like, okay, this is, you know, these are the people I want to surround myself with in terms of business. Not everyone's lucky like me to have parents who, you know, are able to guide them like that. Um, I find myself very fortunate. My husband also with data and numbers and uh, my husband brings a whole nother set to the table um, of just making sure also that I'm taking care of because he sees me 24 seven. He's like, are you overloaded right now? Should we be doing this? Should we be pushing harder? Um, like yesterday, he's like, damn, I've seen you really the past few days. I'm picking up my marketing and social media stuff. He's like, wow, you're really hustling. I'm like, yeah, you know. So he's he's my other kind of cheerleader. So they, my dad and my husband kind of play different roles, but you know, both very essential roles for me and my company to succeed. Awesome. And I did say that was the last question, but I can't not ask this because I think it's important. Why do you use <laughs> kindness sure. a lot as an indicator? Um, a core value or a character check um, to make sure that they're in tune. Why kindness and why the word kindness? What is it around that word? Why do you identify it so much and why is it important to you in the relationship? So I think when people aren't kind, there's a little bit of a red flag. I always give people slack, right? Maybe someone's having a bad day. You know, I've met someone the first time you meet them, people talk about something called resting bitch face. Like you can't judge a book by its cover. You got to get to know someone sometimes, right? A lot of times. But once you get to know someone and if they're consistently unkind, like that really sets off an alarm bell to me. People, everyone has their mental health issues. Everyone has a drop baggage we have. But if someone's unkind, what is making them unkind? Like we're not in high school. This isn't mean girls. You do not need to be unkind to be successful in life, no matter what people told you. Did you see the show that Chef, uh, well, the bear on Hulu? about how people are in the kitchen and how terrible they are. I just, I'm blown away by that. I don't even, it makes me angry and it makes things 10 times worse for the hospitality you know what? business. And if exactly. I could, if I could tell you how angry I just, you hit something there and I get very passionate about this, but that did so much damage in a business that's already suffering that I just can't even believe that we would do such negative things like that to do that. But I agree with you. Go on. A thousand percent. So so when I see people that I do not believe and I've seen it with my own eyes, I've seen plenty of kind people be successful in all sorts of careers. You do not need to be an asshole to be successful. Right. Um, my mentor in high school founded some of these kind of phrases. I went to a values based Jewish high school that I helped found and end up going back to teach there. I was one of the first graduating classes. And we have a lot of like different kind of, they sound a little corny, but it's true. Not everyone's an A, a student, but everyone can be an A plus human being. 
it doesn't take a lot, right? A clique of people is an insecure group of friends who cannot make room for someone else. A circle of friends are confident people who can take a step back and make that circle bigger. Okay, like kindness is so important that treating people that way, you, you can you'll, you'll be a really miserable person if you're treating someone and yelling in their ear in a kitchen. You should just go kill yourself. You're not good enough. What kind of person are you? I don't believe you. that kitchen or that food is going to be any better because you're such a jerk. I think having a happy kitchen, and we've seen this in the restaurant industry, um, I think a turn, at least I'm seeing it in a lot, and I read a lot of magazines on Shabbat, I read The New Yorker a lot, and like they highlight every week a different restaurant and the culture, and these are places are crushing it, and they're cool and nice, right? And um, it's really, I think that's really important. It's just, if someone's not going to be kind, like I'm not, there's a, I've only had one client who was really a jerk. Um, they claimed their brisket had no meat on it, was pure fat. Now I package every single brisket right now myself, every single piece. And if someone doesn't specify lean or fatty, I give a mixture. And yes, I understand there's fat, but they threw it away. They didn't take pictures and they were, they were sc like screaming at me via email. I simply like blocked them. I gave them a refund. I wish them a happy new year it was Jewish new year. And I'm like, I, I wish you well, here's your refund. If I've had another person who came to me, we had an oven issue and I didn't know that a couple of the cornbreads were not fully cooked in the middle. When I first was getting going, there was an oven issue. Someone who had bought a bunch of food from me multiple times, everything was amazing. I just want to let you know, though, you know, the cornbread was raw in the middle and we weren't able to eat it. We tossed it. Not only did I apologize and refund them for that cornbread, I gave them free sides for the next time. And they're like, no, no, no. I said, Absolutely. It's the least I can do. Not only am I going to make it right, I'm going to give you with your next order, which they had already placed. And I said, it's all because, as we say in Yiddish, you were a mensch. You were kind about it. Right. If I'm at a restaurant and something's wrong, I'm going to be really nice about it for a long time until it gets really ridiculous. Right. Let's say something's really terrible. I don't think I've ever been like that at a restaurant ever. Because I'm like, that's just not the way to deal with things. So if you're just a mensch about things, if you're just kind and like, hey, listen, there's a small issue. I hope, you know, I don't mean to be an inconvenience. Like, that's be kind, be a mensch. It's all about that, right? The one guy who bought brisket from me, he bought one pound. It was his only pound. And you know what? If he wants to reach out again, he, he can. But I'm going to have a long discussion with them first because, you know, they didn't follow my terms of service. They weren't very kind about it. And at the end of the day, like, I don't need to deal with that. If I had a restaurant, I'd be like, be kind or no service. That's kind of how I roll. I'm the opposite, I would say, of the soup Nazi. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And I was just thinking that, actually. And um, it's terrible, and I feel like repu uh, restaurants have gotten a really bad reputation because I think a majority of really good non-sole proprietors and non-sort of restaurateurs only, I just want to be careful. We're talking about food entrepreneurs, and restaurateurs are restaurant entrepreneurs. But there's a difference in mentality here, and we got to be careful because entrepreneurs believe in growing humans, okay? So when you see someone yelling onto you, that's not an entrepreneur. That's a sole proprietor trying to figure out what he's doing, but there's so much selfishness in there. That's not an entrepreneur, okay? Like, I just want to be very clear about this, and especially since the name of this podcast, especially since I was born an entrepreneur, what the difference is, okay? And positively mm -hmm. pollinating the world is an entrepreneur for success long after we're gone. That's the, really an entrepreneur. Everyone else is a businessman, sole proprietor, or whatever partnership, you you name it. But it's not that, okay? Because the difference in entrepreneur is the freedom the that we build spirit, not just culture. 
And we also make sure that there's a legacy of positivity after us. That's truly entrepreneurship, okay? When we teach it in school, we're like, oh, it's creating a business and making money. No, the money is what happens when you are successful and you are a good person. And if you want it to last forever and have good character, then you should probably do everything other than concentrate on the money and just be a good person and get paid for being a good person, providing good service and providing good food. Because what happens when you're so worried about the money, you turn into an, an animal, like in the kitchen. That's what those companies in. Like you don't, I don't even have to get paid money to walk in and consult there. Oh, you're angry. You're too worried about the money, you know, and you're too afraid to adjust your prices. Two things, and you take it out on everyone. So, um, um, I think there's a lot of that, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but I think. A lot of it has to do with core values. A lot of it has to do you're not leading properly. Um, and there's a lot of ego involved, like do as I say, not lead by example. So I really appreciate this conversation, Danny. And I thank you for coming on the podcast and, you know, being able to adjust to my schedule and my messing up the calendar. No, it's all good. It's my pleasure. Like I said, I'm, I'm a go with the flow kind of person. When I can't accommodate, I absolutely will. Awesome. And that's my motto in life too. Like if I can, I will. And so tell us where they can find you on the internet or social media and, um, and then I'll take us home. So you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Holy Smokes Kosher BBQ and on my website, Holy Smokes Kosher BBQ.com. Um, you can find out the dates that I'm cooking, pop-ups, public events available. You can find me for catering events, meat classes, all sorts of things. I've got all sorts of equipment. I do private chef events, yakitori grilling. So there's a lot out there. People want to reach out to me and see what else I can do for them. Hit me up. Yeah, and I'm excited. I'm eventually going to have you back on because I believe that barbecue is just the tip of the iceberg for you and you're going to figure out way more to do with this and concepts and maybe even ghost kitchens. I'm really excited to see what happens here because you're just such an outstanding human and like hyper-functional and your energy is just so bright. I love it. And you're doing such good in the world. Like that's most important. Thank you so much. And I love that kindness is an anchor. I believe in that too. I went to... Catholic school, all boys school, but morals and ethics and being a good man in the world and being a good um, person of God and doing the most with my life and making the most of my time and everyone else's time, which is truly our most valuable resource. Um, and making sure that I could grow the people around me as much as possible in that, which I already knew I wanted to do because I was born an entrepreneur, like I said, positive pollinator of the world. So growing humans and being someone to pass on legacy just fit really well and food just went right into that really well also somehow and so i just love what you're doing and i you have a fan and i'll be rooting for you you and i'll get you back on the podcast and i'll reach out to you and just say hello every once in a while but one of the reasons definitely and you know we're gonna we're gonna ship some barbecue soon so you gotta hit me up Absolutely. And that was going to be one of my questions, but I'll save it for the next time because I was wondering about like direct to consumer shipping and because there is none of that going on with the kosher barbecue and stuff. But uh, let's get into that the next episode and I'll reach out to you and try to get you on the schedule again, Danny, for sure. That sounds great. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. You're very welcome. Thank you everyone for listening in. Again, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. Please share this episode. Also, please like it or give us a five-star review so we can keep uh, getting 
or keep influencing, impacting uh, future entrepreneurs. So thanks, guys. Thank you, Danny. And we're out.